calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Bitches on Comics, and I'm your host, S.E. Fleenor. I'm Sarah Sentry. The writer. <laughs> Not the queen. Not the queen. Of the 1400s uh, you might have read about in history class. We have a question from Mike on Twitter. Have y'all talked about slash considered bad girl comics and some recent reboots slash inventions of the properties Witchblade, Vampirilla, Chastity, Painkiller Jane, etc. and attempts to make them less male gaze centric. So basically you just want to know what we think of a lot of these comic characters that have been really over-sexualized or hyper-sexualized, as we say. Totally. And, you know, we've talked on other episodes about how the 90s was an interesting time for comics, and a lot of these have a root in that era of becoming very, like, okay. But the great thing about comics is you keep making more of them, and you have a chance to redeem or adjust some representations, let's say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. This is like your wheelhouse. Tell me about your your bad girl comics. I'm obsessed with all of those comics. Vampirilla, for instance, is around since the 60s, but she gets revamped in the 90s. (laughs) Revamped. But (laughs) so she gets, you know, rebooted, very much more sexualized. She becomes extremely sexualized around that time. She's still a really good character. She has only gotten better in the last several years. And it's mostly because a lot of women have been writing her. There's been men who did really good takes on Vampirilla as well. One of my very favorite runs was Vampirilla Volume 4, where she first gets her long-term girlfriend. Obviously, people do great stories of either gender. It's just more likely that a woman is going to do a great job on a character like Vampirilla because this is a character that has been so hyper-sexualized so many times by men. And then you still, even now, you go to buy a Vampirilla comic and the cover is, you know negotiable sometimes it'll be something that's really 
great looking. And so many of the best artists in the world work on that comic. But sometimes you also end up with, you know, the broke back position that we talked about before. Or you just have like a cover that's basically just Vampirilla's ass or something. Yeah, or like just her crotch. She's on her hands and knees or something. All of those things where you're just, ugh. And I think to your point, Sarah, the reality is if you're a gender minority, you know what it's like to be treated like a piece of meat. Yeah. And so you are going to be thinking about that when you represent someone in a comic that maybe has historically been represented that way. You know, like, we're not against Vampirella's costume. Whatever no. she wants to wear, we're like, more power to you. Honestly, I want to make a note that there's different characters in different moods and different tones. Mm. If Jean Grey shows up dressed like Vampirella, then it's out of character and it just right, doesn't make right. sense. Vampirella, dressing like Vampirella makes perfect sense. It's literally part of the plot that she is from a planet where everybody dresses that way yeah like she at one point she's like stripping in front of her therapist and she's like i don't know why you all stifle yourself so much with all this cloth yeah it's like yes i believe and love this and support this and you go be yourself vampirella she's empowered in it and that's something that's very important and that helps you differentiate because never have i been i mean i'm a lesbian i'm not against sexy ladies but (laughs) i am definitely against objectification and there's a huge difference between those two things a lot of people make bad faith arguments there's a lot of bad faith arguments about it of oh well like what's different about it if i do it this way or that way and it's just you know that you know what the difference is totally we can tell when we look at it if it's something that is obviously just kind of male-centric porn (laughs) or whatever totally soft porn probably but still you know like she appears almost entirely naked on a lot of covers. So, you know, and that's alienated some feminists. I don't always think that that's correct because I think that, as we said, she completely owns it, right? Yeah. But there was a huge crop of women that dressed exactly like that in the 90s. Yes. Regardless of if it really fit their personality or not. Exactly. Angela <laughs> Angela barely wears any clothes, but she's wearing armor. So it makes sense, yeah. right? Same with Red Sonia. She's also a fucking god. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a little different when these characters maybe don't feel cold the way that you and I feel cold. Right. Right? Like, Squirrel Girl does not wear a tiny outfit, even though she has fur. Ah, I'm going to have to think about this. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that, like, you know, there are other ways to depict people. Yes. <laughs> I think that the new stories of Vampirilla are some of my very favorite comics. Right now, I'm pushing almost everything. I buy more Vampirilla comics than I buy X-Men comics right now, which is very surprising to me, but true and worth it. And I think that Red Sonia and Vampirilla team-ups are great because that's two characters that are constantly dismissed. And then they are kind of finding their power now. And it's a lot more fun to read, honestly. So I love those series. I think that they're so good. And I think that, you know, one of the biggest things with Red Sonia in one of our Patreon exclusive extended episodes, I talked a little bit about Red Sonia's original background, which was essentially her being punished with a chastity vow yeah. for getting assaulted herself. Yep. And so that was so problematic and so bad. And it was all written by men for the longest time. Gail Simone came along and gave us such a powerful Red Sonia. Oh, and so if you, good. Yeah, like chills. Chills. <laughs> 
If you haven't read Gail Simone's Omnibus, then you're missing out. You should definitely check it out. It's great. To me, that's like they almost reset the character entirely because that element of foundational slut shaming that was present in the early days is gone because it's written by Gail Simone. It's written by a woman, somebody who has a vested interest in Red Sonia being powerful as opposed to somebody who is in this, you know, hypersexualized outfit and doesn't have a lot of character growth right. over and her it, history. And is like recapitulating a, a reality that happens to survivors. Right. You know, we, we don't need that. We don't need a story Not with like no that. commentary on it yeah. of why that's messed up. Exactly. So yeah, I think that that is another case of greatness. And then we just keep going through this list. I mean, there's characters that were sexy lady characters that haven't really been revamped. Like you have like Lady Death and stuff like that. Mm, I think that mm-hmm. Lady Death is kind of still the same and, you know, whatever. I don't want to be mean about Lady Death because whatever, it's yeah. fine. To me, it's I always make those adjustments too where I go, there is obviously a market for this. Somebody is coming in here and buying these comics. So I don't want to say like, don't do it just because I'm not a big fan, but I do want to be clear that there is a reason that women feel uncomfortable often buying that comic. Absolutely, absolutely. I also think that there's something in it's exactly what Gail Simone did with Red Sonia. It's exactly what happens with the later Chastity, where it's not just we're going to put more clothes on them mm-hmm. or we're going to let them be in charge of their story. Those are important things, that, or they can be important things. Right. Like, those are great, sure, whatever. But it's almost like the actual storyline lets them come face-to-face with this sort of discrimination. Right. And lets them deal with it in a way where it's super empowering. So Chastity's storyline gets to move from being, like, this victim to being, like, this— and she's badass even in the early stuff. I don't mean to, like, denigrate that at all— Maybe I do. I don't know. Asterisk, I'll come back to this. Or I won't, and you won't know that I didn't. So (laughs) Chastity is just such a cool character. You know, she's kind of like Blade. She's got a lot of Blade's skills, except she's like this cute little hottie. Not that, I mean, Blade's a hottie. Yeah. I'm here for Blade. She's just a different kind of hottie. Mm -hmm. She's also an actor, and she's like a struggling actor, and she's... You know, maybe she's good at it. Maybe she's not that good at it. It's unclear. And I just love her because she is this feminine and not, and violent and not, and vampire and not. And whatever binary you have, she just breaks them down. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a credit to the, the Leah Williams run, right? Yes. And I think that's like, we can take characters who have been misrepresented, hypersexualized, what have you, and we don't have to just throw them out wholesale. I get why some people might avoid the titles. Like, fair. Do what's right for you. Oh, yeah. You know, buy what's comfortable for you and everything. But, And I understand, too, because I, (laughs) whenever I was living in rural Missouri and I would walk around with a Vampirilla comic that's a naked lady, you know, that that makes you kind of unsafe because people are homophobic. I mean, not everybody, obviously, but, you know, a lot of homophobes and places, certain places in the world. And so whenever that is the case, then that makes it hard to go buy that comic because you might get any level of harassment because of it. For being queer, also just for being like a a feminine red or female person in the world. If you wear your outfits, whatever outfit you want, you will get catcalled in. And to bring that comparison, I think sometimes people are like, oh, you must be cool with it. Yeah. Like you've got that sexy lady comic, like you must be cool with this. Right. Like, that's not how any of that works. No. And also, you know, it. there's just various reasons why it would be not always the most comfortable thing. Yeah. Or, you know, there's times where you'll read a comic and you go, 
why is this character not wearing anything? You know, that's kind of the deal breaker for me a lot of the times is whenever I just don't understand why she's being constantly sexualized. Vampirella is one of the most sexual characters, so it makes perfect sense. Again, you look at this character, almost every story is about her hooking up with somebody and having, you know, all of her side stuff, which is her being a detective and Mm -hmm. all of this stuff that requires a ton of intelligence and also looking at humanity and thinking, you have a lot of hangups that I just was never raised in a culture that had those. (laughs) So all of that to me, I think makes her so interesting, right? Yeah, I love that about her. I love how she's constantly like, why are humans like this? Yeah, Why? I don't know Vampirella. You tell me. (laughs) There's one where in the Jordi Belair Red Sonia Vampirella series where (laughs) this guy is wearing a wedding ring and he hides it. And Vampirella's thought process is, I don't understand marriage. It's a very strange custom, but I will respect it even if you don't, (laughs) like, in her head. Because that's, like, the custom of where I'm at right now is to admire, you know, or to respect some kind of monogamous boundaries that are being that drawn. seems ridiculous to me but you know what it's y'all's thing and, so and she I can see <laughs> who the person who's doing wrong is in that situation so what's always the best about vampirilla is she's so intelligent and she has such a interesting view on humans incisive right like she just sees right through the bullshit yeah she's like uh really this is like your thing <laughs> it seems kind of dumb so I also think that Teeny Howard did Hackslash, and Hackslash was always a pretty fun comic, but it's very girl and hip huggers with a chainsaw kind of situation, <laughs> you know, very yeah. 90s. Yeah. We're like, you should wear some armor, you know, of some kind, maybe some jeans just in case something happens with that chainsaw. But not Hackslash. <laughs> not Hackslash. She's doing it all in a G-string. And yeah, she's better now. It's a better comic. Teeny Howard takes over, did a couple of runs. Like, I don't quite remember how much, but I don't either. it made her be more empowered, more intelligent, had a lot of qualities of a final girl or something. Oh, I did think it was cool. I didn't know this, that Vampirella was created by Forrest J. Ackerman, but also Trina Robbins yeah. from Women's Comics. Yeah. So to me, that even gives her a history that is feminist. She's so interesting in interviews when she talks about Vampirella, too, because she's the person, I think, that maybe even, I wouldn't say coined the term, but the person who I remember most explicitly using the word hypersexualization to describe the difference between sexualizations because she was talking about Vampirella. She said, I designed a costume and later people hypersexualized it. That has literally nothing to do with me. <laughs> like, I think what's so brilliant about that is it really makes us confront that we think certain clothes make someone sexualized or not. Right. And, and make them deserving of being sexualized right. or not. Yeah. And that's or ridiculous. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Clothing cannot change. It should not change anything about how someone is experienced in the world. Whether or not a woman is wearing the Shador or a burqa or a woman is in a bikini, like it's none of your fucking business. Yeah. Let her wear what she wants to wear or not. Yeah. And that is so frustrating to me in the comics because I think so often it's also the way we're so voyeuristic in our mm-hmm. culture and we are so we are so trained in the male gaze because that's what most films are made from. That's what most art is made from right. that becomes popularized. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying like, you know, yeah, yeah, The people yeah. are making their art, you know? Lots right. of different perspectives. But what gets celebrated? But what gets celebrated? What makes the big dollars, you know? And so I think it's like, why do we end up getting mad at Vampirella? Why don't we get mad at 
Katrina Robbins. Like, they didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, and what's also really interesting about, I think, that just entire situation is that at a certain point they tried pretty recently to redesign Vampirilla's costume and make it kind of like Buffy a trench- the Vampire yeah, Slayer-ish yeah, 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 yeah. where it has, she's wearing shorts and... You like know, a trench coat, full, kind of. Yeah, a like lot of clothes. She's wearing a lot of clothes compared to what we normally see. And I think that that to me was just a weird part of her to be the hill that you die on, I guess. It's fine to redesign costumes. Every time Vampirilla shows up in a different costume, it looks great. You know, there's oh, not totally, really anything yeah. you can do about that. She just looks great. But I think that one of the things is, is that Vampirilla having more clothes on doesn't change how you're drawing her and it doesn't change the position she's in and it doesn't change what the vibe of the scene is so to me I always think it makes sense that she wears this Trina Robbins design that doesn't bother me at all like I think it looks great and there's just a difference in how people draw her and that design I don't know it was interesting because that arc is good where Kate Leth Mm -hmm. is doing the writing and it was a female creative team for the most part which was nice but at the same time, kind of Vampirilla showing up wearing a ton of clothes. It just gave the book a different feel in a way. Because and I think in some ways it, it also, like you said, it didn't make her not sexualized. Right. She still has a ton of cleavage. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is she's sexy no matter what. Exactly. But also whenever you go out of your way to be like, okay, so she's feminist now because she's wearing more clothes to me was, you know, she's and, always feminist. Yeah, exactly. What I love about Vampirella and what I think Vampirella caused for me as a single character, I think she caused one of the best dilemmas I could have around being a feminist in comic books is do we have the right to write her off wholesale? And you and I have both come to the same conclusion of like, no. No, like, I love her. <laughs> the same way that like, I don't think that being slutty in whatever way you define that, I self-identified as a slut for a very long time. I don't think that makes you not a feminist. I don't think that makes you a bad person. And so why would I apply that to this comic character who uses her body this way because she wants to? That's great. That's wonderful. That's the fucking dream, mm-hmm. right? The dream is for everyone to be able to walk around wearing what they want, when they want, and be left the fuck alone. Yeah. And I think that sometimes we make the mistake of being like, oh, let's let's sanitize her because that solves this other problem. And it's like, that doesn't do anything. We yeah. know that. Yeah, and people were used to a certain look from Vampirilla and kind of changing it up, I think, made people be like, eh, what? You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, whenever I'm like sharing a cover from one of the books, I have a hard time doing one of the ones with the new costume just because I'm like, it feels it feels like I'm censoring her, and <laughs> yeah. I don't want to censor her. I support her to be her. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't want to make it seem like feminists wouldn't have a reason to criticize Vampirilla or to be somewhat For dismissive sure. because there is a ton of stuff where you read it and you just go, yeah, this was definitely somebody who uh, <laughs> didn't love her like I do, I guess. This is Hi. But she has a long history of really good stories as well. So I just think that she's a character that you can't really dismiss. And I obviously just love her. I love <laughs> all of these characters, actually, that we just talked about. I never got really into Witchblade. I'm sure that if you're reclaiming it, it's great. We talked actually pretty recently about how much we didn't like Michael Turner's Supergirl. So I wasn't a big fan of the art in the original run, and that kind of alienated me from it. What about Painkiller Jane? That's owned by Amanda Connor and yeah. Jimmy Palmiotti, who did Over that. at Paper Films? Yeah, and they did that great run on Harley Quinn. So yeah. it's kind of the other side of that. So if you liked their run on that, read those comics. They're really fun. I think that that might be how they met. I don't know, though. Cute. That would be cute. If Apocryphal. So. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I like all of these characters pretty much. I'm not a big fan of Witchblade, but she's cool. <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, I think Painkiller Jane's the only one I didn't, I mean, and Witchblade that I wasn't, I think it's more I haven't read much Painkiller Jane. Right. But I think when you walked in, I was like, I would die for chastity. I oh, would yeah. die right now for chastity. <laughs> and you were like, yeah, no, I get that. That's, I get it. That's the right response. It really is. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. Sometimes there's sexy lady in comics, and it's good. <laughs> but sometimes it's awkward, and uh, there's just a kind of constant line that we have to be engaging with and drawing for ourselves. The comic of the week is Angela, Asgard's Assassin. The main story is written by Kieran Gillen, penciled by Phil Jimenez, inked by Tom Palmer, and with colors by Romulo Fajardo. The sub-story is written by Marguerite Bennett and Kieran Gillen, with art by Stephanie Hands. Well, this is your your jam. This is my. <laughs> this is like everything I love in the world. You know, yeah. he's like encapsulated in this comic. I love it. I just love it, and then I love it, and then I love it some more. So basically, this is the story of the sibling to Loki and Thor, and they don't know she exists. Because yeah, okay. of <laughs> because she belonged to a different publisher in the beginning. <laughs> so yeah. she got well, I mean that's like the real reason, but <laughs> Yeah. 
so she belonged to a different publisher, and then she ended up in Marvel's hands out of, like, the weirdest little switcheroo you've ever heard of. But that happened in comics kind of regularly during that time where, like, all of a sudden everything belonged to Marvel and DC, and <laughs> that had been started specifically independent 10 years before or something. And then it was like, oh... Um, nope, they're all in universe. So now I guess we'd better figure out where the heck Angela comes from. <laughs> well, guess what? She's they the do, sibling. they figure it out. So instead of there being nine realms, there's a tenth realm that Angela was raised in, but as heaven. The, as, yeah, heaven. And as far as Thor and Loki know, or they don't know the realm exists, but as far as Odin and Freya are concerned, their infant was stolen from them and killed by the angels of heaven. H-E-V-E-N, I believe. And mm-hmm. it's the 10th realm. All those are the same place. Angels, heaven, 10th realm. But then whoops-a-doodle, we like get reconnected to the 10th realm through something out of original sin. I can't even remember what it is. I think Thor <laughs> goes there and is like, I'm going to kill some people for killing my sister. And then he's like, sis? It's pretty fucking funny. And she's like, I'm not your sister, you dick face. (laughs) And then then her mom is like, I'm not your real mom. Awkward. That's why you don't have wigs. (laughs) And it is, you know, that's not this comic. But this comic is basically, it starts with Angela repeating what would happen before. She's stealing the child of Odin and I believe it's Freya again, but it might be a different woman. I can't remember. And she's stealing the baby, and everybody's like, fuck, you can't steal babies? And she's like, yes, I can. I'm Angela. I'm made of awesome. She has this, like, gorgeous armor, just head to toe. She has some mystical ribbons that are never explained, but are kind of like a prehensile tail, but, like, eight of them, or, like, four of them, I think, maybe. might be exaggerating. And it turns out the baby's possessed. It's not like she is, like, stealing a child and kidnapping someone. Mm-hmm. But she is, but, but she's she not. is. But she is, but she's not. <laughs> right? She is to get the whatever's possessing the baby out of the baby. But anyways, that's sort of like the, the wider story. What this is really about is the romance between Angela and her lady, Sarah, who is a mage and a badass fighter and the coolest and is an angel of heaven. It, it is has just good like, jokes. Very oh, good such at one-liners. It's very good narrator situation. We definitely have a Xena Gabrielle matchup here where yes. we have somebody just narrating the warrior's amazing actions, which sign me up every time. I will be there if you Absolutely. do that in a story. There is nothing that will stop me. And Sarah is just exactly what you're saying. She's such a great counterbalance to Angela. Angela's like very self-serious and very intense and super hot. I mean, Sarah's also super hot, but Sarah's like a little bit calmer and makes more fun sardonic. Of her for being, yeah, it makes fun of her for being serious and scary. <laughs> and then like kisses really her on are. the mouth like a lot. And it's like, they're just like so in love. And uh, I know. Uh, uh, you have to read every single one of the, the comics in this run. It is so cute. There's like a side story where they run into the Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's like some of my favorite Guardian stuff. Sarah and Angela kiss a bunch because Marguerite Bennett has got our backs. She knows what we need. And it is... Mm, 
I love Angela so much. And I love Sarah so much. And if you don't know, Sarah is a trans woman. She is fucking awesome. And she and Angela kind of fall in love through their experience of both being outsiders from the angels because the angels have a an investment in binary gender and how they organize their everyday life. So women do the warrior fighting stuff and men are scholars and essentially monks. The interactions between Angela and Thor are amazing because Thor is very angry and ready to take Angela out and Angela does not give a damn. And so it's very interesting and fun to watch Thor at his full 100% most posturing and for it to just completely fall flat. Okay, so I want to talk about this scene where the Odin son decides that everything's fine, you've got the baby, here we all are, you just have to give me the baby, and Angela just chucks the baby into, like, a pit of fire. <laughs> and, of course, there's, there's more to it, you know? Like, I don't want to tell the whole story, but there's more to it. You know, maybe she didn't totally just, like, actively murder this child. But just the look on Thor's face is really amazing to me and funny and hilarious. It's and so just, funny. It makes me think of Angela as just such a badass and such a wild card to the point of nobody can guess what is going to happen because, I mean, you know, that would not be a thing you would guess would happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Guess. That's the other thing. I was, I'm totally on the same page. It's one of the things I just adore about Angela is that she is doing Angela's thing. It you surprised know? me, and I very seldom am surprised when I'm reading a story, and that just made my eyes go boink. <laughs> like. Yeah, and I think what's nice about this run in particular, but Queen of Hell is also good at this too, is it's one of those ways where it's really distinct that I think some people forget when you're not reading multiple comics telling the same story, which is that the comic is telling you the story from a certain perspective. So we get to see Thor not through Thor's eyes, right? So we get to see a Thor who's like a little bit annoying. And we get yeah. to see Loki as like, you're not nearly as clever as you think you are. Like, please back up. Angela has the drop on you, so I don't know why you're even bothering. Exactly, exactly. And it's fun to see it from that side. And I love, you know, Thor and Loki in different depictions at different times for all kinds of reasons. But Angela brings some of the same self-seriousness that I think both of them have, which is kind of cute to see that runs in the family, and manages to also be, like, highly unimpressed. (laughs) You know, like, that's, like, her main state of being is, like, none of y'all impress me. Well, also because she is the most impressive. Whenever she has the wings, she gets that suit of armor. That is one of the most beautiful panels, I think, in a comic, pretty much. So watching that, that's out of control. That whole idea is just, and Sarah just standing there talking (laughs) and being like, you're looking good. Like, yeah, (laughs) I can't tell a lie. I was going to say also in that that same sense, like the wings, but also a lot of the times, like some of the most beautiful panels are when Angela and Sarah are kissing. And there's just this way that they're depicted with the colors swirling around them. And they just look like they're really in love. And in a world where we don't get to see all of our characters kissing on the mouths, <clears throat> Poison Ivy and Harley, <clears throat> 
<clears throat> it's really amazing to know that you really do get to see that with Angela and Sarah. Like their love is so respected by the the creators and by the comic itself and by them. It's just super inspiring, I think. Yeah, I loved it. It's epic. It has a very Xena feel in a lot of ways, but it goes a few steps further because it's a comic and they don't have a budget, so they can do <laughs> And it was so good. There's just scenes that will kind of, you know, take your breath away a little bit because the coloring is so gorgeous. Every part of it is just a really beautiful comic and two of the best writers, I think, that have been working for the last decade or so. It, you just can't beat the team up. And the fact that they really got to kind of reinvent this character alongside of the other things that they were reinventing, like Jillian did, obviously, the journey into mystery that focused on Loki. So, you know, already Which was, amazing. was well in this universe <laughs> doing mm -hmm. really kind of ingenuitive things. So kind of yeah. saying this extension was nice. I believe the next series... Are they only written by Bennett or? I believe it, so. Well, you know, they passed the torch, you know. But yeah. um, well, and, and Stephanie Hans is, is an artist who I just am obsessed with. I think that her work is just remarkable. I read a, a 2019 comic called Die, and her work in it was just mm -hmm. wow. I think this is the first place I ever read her work, and I was just like, I'm in. And it's nice now going back through and like seeing her name everywhere and being like, oh yeah, that's why I love all of these comics. The art is so good. Yeah, it's beautiful. You kind of can't go wrong with this series. Pretty much all of these creators are just at the very top of their game here. Absolutely. Uh, and Angela is just such an enigmatic and underutilized character. So highly recommend watching her throw babies into fire pits and stuff. Because <laughs> people on the mouth having a great time. If you like the podcast, check out our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash bitchesoncomics. We have lots of perks at all kinds of levels. No matter what you think you can handle, help us out because we love making this podcast and we gotta pay Kate. Everybody's gotta eat, including sound engineers. So we also have this zine from Carta Monier called Something Right. And how did you find this? Actually, I think it was via Twitter. There was a zine sale that was happening, I believe. I think she might have just shared it, talked about it, something. Very cool. So it's a it's a zine based on selfies of Carta. And Carta, during it, is talking about her transition and about being on HRT and about starting to look at her face and seeing someone that she thinks is beautiful and someone she wants to be. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. It reminds me of Julia Wurtz's Up and Away comic. Just really beautiful, very distinct, but very beautiful stories about finding oneself. I got very emotional reading something right. I just think it's a beautiful zine. It is. It's great. And I was happy to be able to buy it and to be, sometimes I just click on things. I'm like, somebody is selling a zine for $3 or whatever, and I'll just buy it just because, you know, I like zines, whatever. It doesn't matter to me if it's good or not. And whenever I have these moments of, I just throw $3 into whatever situation, I liked your tweets five times or something, so I'm going to buy your $3 zine. And whenever I open it, you know, digitally, of course, but whenever I open it and it's this beautiful, then oh. it's always gives me faith <laughs> in the act of doing that, basically supporting independent artists and things like that, because this is like somebody who talks about, 
you know, abuse in comics and things like that. It talks a lot about all kinds of things that are important to hear about. And, you know, we all know that that's not always easy to do. So the fact that this was such a cathartic and beautiful zine for other people, you know, it's it's great to be able to read stuff like this. Yeah, I think that it's also really significant that we are uplifting trans voices around trans stories yeah. and that trans people were framed as if we only have tragedy. Mm-hmm. And it's really amazing to have someone who is not, because sometimes people think the flip of that then is like, then everything must be rosy. And it's like, oh, good God, life, yeah. life is not either or. Ah, the binary. Ah! And this is um, quite literally a coping process, right? Absolutely. So, it's and, a documentation process. It's a coping process. I think it's a, a process of like self-liberation. Yeah. I really feel that in what Carta talks about and the way that she frames just looking at her face now versus before. And, mm-hmm. and when she talks about how she feels in her body now, versus before and I think that it's just really really exceptional and it's nice that it's a story that is filled with tension and and hard things but isn't about displaying trans trauma for like trauma porn sake you know Mm -hmm. it really is about like an experience and I have no hate for anyone who tells their story however they tell it of course I just think it's really nice that in this case it's it really feels like she owns it Mm -hmm. and and part of that's the independence of getting to do a zine Mm -hmm. really getting to control you know she plays probably every role for the zine you know and you know a lot of the stories we get in mainstream have been distilled washed down, stripped of whatever experience sometimes. And yeah. So it's, it's really, it felt really, um, I wouldn't say raw because I think it, it felt very polished, but I think it felt very intimate. Yeah. It's really good. I loved being able to read it. I'm glad that I took the chance on it. Absolutely. If you like bitches on comics and words that make sense, rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. For serious, for reals, you're listening right now. You can hear my deep, soothing voice. (laughs) I love you, my babies. Wow. Stop what you're doing and rate and review us. Your voice is all over the place today. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm like a Muppet, and then I'm like, soothing sounds. (laughs) Right? SE's voice. <laughs> Don't do that, actually. That's that's mean. Don't do that. That'd be harsh. Unless you have lovely things to say, yeah, in which say case, nice please. About it. Once again, if you have negative things to say, please don't. Our egos are literally made out of glass or something perhaps even more <laughs> fragile than glass. So, Or you know what? Like, call my biological mom and you guys can agree. You know, I'm good. I don't need, I don't need you to tell me on the internet what a garbage sack I am. I got family for that, okay? You're not my real dad. Please rate and review us on <laughs> iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you find podcasts. <laughs> you're, not, you're not my real dad. You're not a listener. You're not my real dad. We are a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is b.com. 
T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.